Hi everyone and welcome to the Brown Sign Project. Um, we are joined today by Alan Foy. Alan is the CRM Transformation Lead for National Museums Liverpool. Um, he started as a theatre volunteer at 16. A very, a 16-year-old Alan, I think we need to hear more about him. Um, and he's com completed numerous roles and projects, giving him a really well-rounded career in travel and tourism. Uh, so thank you for joining us, Alan. It's okay, lovely to be here talking to you too. Excellent. Um, and as with everyone, we're going to get to know you better. So Carlton is going to do this or that because Carlton doesn't know you as well as I do. So he's uh, he's in for a treat, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh no. So go on, Carlton. Off you go. Thank you very much. So we're going to play a game called This and That. I'm just going to give you two items. Just tell me which one do you like. Easy. Okay. Easy. All right. First one is flying or sailing? Sailing. And we might come back to that later on. Dog or cat? Dog, cats are sneaky. Tea or coffee? Coffee, always. Summer or winter? Winter. Okay. Theatre or cinema? Theatre. Theatre always. Wizard or pirates? Oh, pirates. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. And your last one is sweet or savoury? Sweet. Awesome. Alan, That's... I feel like you're going to get your northern card rejected if you say coffee over tea. You're not going to be allowed <laughs> to be northern anymore. <laughs> I, I never drink tea. Never, ever, ever. Don't wow. know. Okay. I'm doing. And I never used to drink coffee until I worked for Cafe Nero. And then that was it. I was off. <laughs> Half past six of the morning. That was it. Coffee all the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a there's a career uh, discussion. <laughs> <laughs> what what career choices have you made that led to your coffee addiction? Yes, that's a good one. Cafe Nero, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so just sort of to get an idea as to, you know, what your, your role is like, can you give us an idea of what your normal day looks like? Okay, so as you said before, I'm CRM Transformation Lead. It is a new role. I've actually been back at National Museums of Liverpool for two and a half years. Um, so this is a very specific project role. Previous to that, I was the systems administrator and box office developer. So the two roles are linked. Um, so there's not, there's never really an average day, and especially pre-COVID, we have eight museums in six public venues plus multiple non-public venues. So pre-working from home, you could be in any one of those venues any day. And you always have to try and think, where am I going today to make sure you're in the right one? Because they're not next to each other generally. It can be a different part of the city or on the other side of a river um, for one of them. Um, so my day, um, it starts off usually with seeing what has come in because we're open seven days a week. On my non-working days, the building and the company are still working. And even since COVID, we're only open to the public for five days, but the company is still working for seven. So usually a morning is catching up on things that could have come up overnight, system outages, any development work, any major, major issues that need addressing that I'm part of. And then pre, about nine to 10, just catching up with the teams on messages and chats. And then my current project work is pre, we've done all the scoping and tendering for a CRM partner, and we're just about to go into the main project process. So there's a lot of planning a lot of planning meetings, scoping meetings, working with our digital teams, our comms teams, audiences teams, our commercial teams, 
fundraising development and understanding all of their current needs and current issues with the systems they use that we want to try and resolve and build on and develop through CRM. And I'm sure people will know what CRM is, but CRM, people who don't, who might just be listening, is customer relationship management. And it's a tool that just brings everything that you use, all the touch points with your customers, visitors, stakeholders, funders, um, and how you can view them and manage those relationships. We do a lot of feedback, a lot of reviewing, a lot of reporting, especially now. We've, we've only just reopened yesterday, pre-lockdown two, um, as Liverpool is in Liverpool City region is in the second tier, so we can reopen, which is great. All of our venues reopened. And again, understand, uh, being really fortunate to be able to look at our visitors, understand why they're coming back, why they're not coming back, and data really delving into that there's a lot of coffee involved a lot of remote meetings a lot <laughs> of you're on mute or we can't see you lots of fun experiences with online meetings and i think that is helping if you don't find the fun in an online meeting then i don't know how you can get through your day you do need to take those little bits of comedy um, and i am fortunate that i live next to the city center so on the the times when I need to go into the building and do a bit of kit, a bit of upgrade, a bit of testing, I can walk in and get there. Um, where Liverpool is, a lot of our teams work in North Wales or Cheshire or Greater Manchester, and some people don't have the option to be able to get into the venues to do a bit of their work. So that's been really, really good that I can do those little bits when I need to go in. Um, but no day is absolutely the same ever. And do you, do you think, so you, I mean, eight museums is obviously, there's a, there's a big team working across those sites. Yeah. Do you, ha, do, do you think you've all sort of adapted now to, to remote working, apart from still being on mute when you shouldn't be? I, I think they have in some people we had, I think historically, National Museums Liverpool, we had lots of office space and lots of teams had a desk and we worked on applications that were very desk based and we remote worked in terms of, we went to all of our different buildings for meetings and we had, opportunities to keep moving around but we never really dialed into meetings or never broadcast meetings from different parts of our company and we just started a period of rolling out devices laptops the microsoft teams 365 suite and that has already started but then lockdown happened and it was this is how we need to work and we all need to learn now <laughs> um, and it well i think every person in a company in the museum sector on the that third week of march Everybody was in the same position and everybody just had to learn. Um, luckily, we had started to get used to those applications. Um, and I've just come off another team meeting just before this one. And we were talking about the new way of working going forwards. And it will be a hybrid model of you can go into a building when those times come back. But then another option would be you need to get a piece of work done at home. So you don't really need to go and take up a desk space. Um, but I think everyone's really adapted to some of the teams who would never have had to work in this way in terms of teams to work with objects or collections and we've done the John Moore's patent prize judging most of it done remotely because some of the judges couldn't come into the building they set up a broadcasting suite um, and there's also really good discussions and press around that so I think everyone's done really really well and I think everyone's now seeing how that can change and help us in the future. So that's a really really good insight of kind of your team so but what about yourself how have you how have you adapted to the, the change of covid um has it been difficult has it been challenging or has it been great i have never worked from home ever i've never had a job that has given that option to even though now on 
reflection sometimes it could all but I've never had a personal laptop for work I've never been set up with remote loggings it's always been my work is I get up leave the house and I go to the job and um, I found it really hard I think the novelty was there quite interesting at the beginning it's and my husband also works at home full time so and personally you, you we've had to find this new dynamic of both fighting for the Wi-Fi signal for this podcast. I'm right next to the router. I'm loving life right now Um, because of the signal. um, I really had to adapt because a lot of my work was on systems and applications that don't exist in my home. There's security issues around logging into ticketing systems and applications, especially if they're related to data or payment processing. And we had to work out these new ways that how can I do my job from home? and it took a while. There was a lot of struggles at the beginning with accessing and logging into a remote desktop to get onto a remote desktop to get onto a machine. Um, but if that's what we had to work through to do the job, um, that's what we just had to work through. And I think lots of people really had to open up how they work. Um, I've settled into it. Um, it's been a roller coaster, especially now you'll get up and work at home and it's normally just gone live, but then you're also finishing on the same desk and it's gone dark and all you can do is move to another room in your house. Um, but again, having the option to go in and do a little bit of the work that I need to do, I think is a really big thing for me to have that break away from the desk. Um, but I am managing to do my job full time from where I am, which is a real benefit. Awesome. So uh, you're, yeah, not, I think, you're not stressing um, too much. Yeah, I think when you work in a sort of historic environment or a you know a building, is that they sort of weirdly have personalities of their own, and you sort of miss them. Um, you know, it's not like going to a generic office every day. It's not you know you sort of miss the the intricacies of those really quite incredible buildings. I think as well. Yeah, my main office was Well Museum in the centre of Liverpool, and in the summer we could get up to seven thousand people. So going into work, you also mix them within that large volume of people. So the building had a buzz, it had energy, it had, you could walk out your office and you'd be in the dinosaur gallery or the aquarium. And part of going to work was also part of engaging in the building and its space and its environment. And you knew you were working in a museum sector and the architecture of the building. And when you're logging in a home and it's just your laptop and your spare bedroom, it's very, very different. And I think acknowledging that actually it's not really working today. I'm going to finish a bit early. I'll pick that up tomorrow. Having lots of honest discussions about what it's like to work from home. Um, I think it's been really key. And I've certainly got better at not putting the pressure to be logged on, dressed by nine o'clock. It's like, oh, you're at home. You can maybe take it a bit more flexible. Um, you don't need to worry about getting down into the city centre and clocking in and if the weather's really bad and all the things. But I do miss the environment of the, the building, especially when it's public building, especially during those big summer tourism um, parts for Liverpool that just didn't happen this year. Um, so I'm looking forward to the future when those experiences can happen again. Great. All right, your next question I'm going to ask you, um, and it's regarding about your work, um, and it's what's been your most memorable time at work? I think it would, so current role or ever? Ever. So leading into my work history, um, I originally intended to train and work full-time as a professional dancer. And I did do that for a period. And I actually worked for a cruise line as a production dancer um, for seven months. So I 
got to move out to Italy, got to rehearse with a cast, um, embark onto a ship, and we spent the winter season in the Caribbean. So from around the end of November, start of December, up until February, March, we were based in Florida, sailing out to the West and East Caribbean every week. Sunshine, three shows, two show nights, plus another cabaret night. But the majority of the time was kind of just living on a cruise ship and going to all these amazing beaches, crew parties. That's for another podcast, I'm sure. I won't really delve into that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, yeah, that's yeah. not this podcast. Yeah, that's not for tonight. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the experience of living and working on a cruise ship for seven months was quite a mad thing to reflect on because it was in 2008, 2009. Um, so it does seem like a lifetime ago. It doesn't really relate to what I do now, but it, it was an incredible experience. That's awesome. I know a couple of people actually who um, had, I'd worked with in uh, attractions during sort of my, my early career that had gone on to have really professional careers and that sort of later in life, as, as we are now, I don't mean to sound super old, but, you know, sometimes we are, um, is that they've gone back to sort of repping and cruise shipping at this point in their lives. And I think, well, what a wonderful way to spend, you know, to, just a great time. I think, yeah, there's lots of people be very jealous of your uh, winter months in the Caribbean sun, definitely. Yeah, but then I think because it, that kind of came to an end because of an injury, I think that's kind of linked to other career journeys and where things take you because I did get a ankle injury which towards the end of that contract and then I was going to go back and teach full-time I started to teach training and then I ripped all the cartilage in my knee and then it ends up on crutches so I've had this like push-pull relationship with dance and performing art as a performer but also explored and learned and developed my skills in theatre art management box office and the two of them were in this bit of a push-pull for quite a while and eventually I settled in, focused on all of the arts management stuff and those skills. And that's kind of where it got me to today. But with a lot of high kicking, sequence feathers and jazz hands <laughs> to get me here. Yeah, I think we're, a, we're a, an industry of jazz hands. I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that can't be solved without a high kick. Maybe no, not in a, an office full of technical equipment because you could break something. But be careful where you do it. Yeah, cho- choose your high kicking location carefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean a- apart from high kicking and uh, jazz hands which are obviously very very important what do you think are the skills that are really important for people when they're the sort of first getting into the industry what do you, you wish you'd known oh I think that it's not a linear pathway and you can start thinking I think because I started volunteering when I was 16 in the theatre and I was like, okay, this is it. I love theatre. I absolutely love what I do. And that was like, I started with drama. And then I got into dance. And then went to dance college. I was like, right, this is like, there's a pathway. It is bumpy. And it was bumped. That was back in 2099. I went to college. So I'm now showing my age. I'm 16, 99. And you just automatically have, I've got this, then that, then that, then that. And you've got this pathway. It's not. And don't put the pressure on you yourself. It's going to be bumpy. I'm just kind of like, go with it. In terms of advice to people coming into the sector, it varies and a skill you're doing when you're 17, 16 might really come into its own when you're in your late 20s, 30s. I think a good thing if you're in performing arts, whether it's dance, drama, acting, singing, you're learning skills like you've got to be at rehearsals for possibly 12 hours a day. 
you've got to be focused, you learn determination, you've got to have a bit of, I don't know, strength and just to get through things. You've got to learn how to work through tiredness and schedules and um, just energy. And I think a lot of those things now I can put into my current job about pressure, working under pressure, multi-skill, working in an industry that is seven days a week. For the most of the attraction sector, you will be working weekends and mornings and evenings and late nights. And a lot of the way I approach those type of tasks now kind of come from when I was training and working as a dancer or performer in theatre, um, which some people might not realise. You can cross map those skills to apply them to a non-stage-based role or more of a technical or um, operational-based role. Yeah, we were having a discussion with one of our other um, interviewees about uh, long-distance running, and you just made me think of that, is that we were discussing, you know, how you preserve your energy and you deal with failure. And I think, you know, a lot of those skills, they say, come from a from a physical place, but they're, mm. you know, they, they're quite physical skills, but also they sort of teach you the, the emotional way of handling that as well, which is really important. Like, so yeah, and the other... The other main role that I've come from is front of house management in theatres. So when I was at dance college in Liverpool and from going from volunteering, I became a, a right on the bar, right on fire officer, stage store, box office, duty manager, and then front of house management. The front of house management skill. And after I injured my knee, after I was going to start as a teacher, it was front of house management in theatre that I went back to. So I had this like not backup skill set but I had another skill set as long side performance and that has been one of the biggest thing that's helped me not just having a single skill set view there was always these two side by side so when one wasn't quite working out I could move to the other one because I knew there was job roles there or experience and then if I wanted to pursue dance or perform guards I could move to the other side the skill of, of working in front of house as a duty manager and being responsible for a show that it's starting at half past seven you've got 900 people that show is starting at half past seven otherwise you start getting shouts from the stage management the crew and you're mass herding 900 people over three levels shutting bars getting toilets empty closing curtains working to that deadline that time is like a real adrenaline but again those skills and those scenarios come right into my job now whether you've got an exhibition that's opening, you've got a big on-sale date and time, it's 10am, you've got all the tickets going on sale and the network goes down or you've noticed a price wrong on a, a ticket type and you're frantically like working away with lots of different people. That skill is exactly the same as working in front of house. And even if you're an usher in, as part of the bigger team, you're responsible for your audience level. Is everybody seated? Have you got any latecomers? What seats are empty? Someone gets up to go to the toilet just about the show is to start. You're constantly watching and observing. Um, and all those skills I was working on then definitely use them every day still. And there's nothing like being responsible for a whole entire audience of school children, an entire panto cast and crew during evacuated matinee. And you all stood out on the street and everyone's looking at you to go in. What are we doing? What are we doing now? And you've got kids screaming in a panto dame in the back end of a cow going wandering <laughs> into the road. Um, all of those scenarios and mad experiences have definitely all brought me to this point. Well, it's brilliant. I, I, you kind of like reflect, um, I was like reflecting when you were talking because I used to work at the Royal Albert Hall and it's very, very similar to what you were saying, um, just being 
there in my, my red coat and just like looking off the audience and watching the shows and just seeing how everybody was just so excited, but also learning how to deal with so many different types of, of audiences every yeah. single day, um, which is which is like some it's very difficult to kind of get that skill. Um so yeah, it's 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 awesome just to hear your stories, um, um, and I could go on for like a, I remember crawling onto the stage while the show was on, wiping up child sick during because they'd eaten too many sweets. Somebody was like pointing down to the front of the stage and then having to put sawdust on it just so it wouldn't be slippery until the oh. until the middle of the interval and just and then once the show's finished, okay, then you've got an evening show. There's a show the next day, and even the same in museums, especially if they've got. It's middle of the summer, you've got some which are big for families, some that are big for tourists, international visitors. Every single museum will have another challenge or another thing to consider with its audiences and its visitors. And even though they, it's not like a time frame with a show, like two and a half hours, we're open 10 till five or 10 till four now in the winter. Um, every single day, you just don't know what the challenge is going to be. And I think that's the really exciting bit of working in attractions, tourism or culture or any type of public engagement it's just different every day and you can you just never know yeah I think it's an it's an interesting one as well because I think there's been a bit of a backlash recently or it feels like at least to me about calling front of house front of house and back of house back of house you know but they're they're terms that I'm really familiar with and, and obviously yeah me too yeah, both me. of us were Jews and I think that, you know the the difference between what we say front of house and back of house in an attractions world is only different because we place different emphasis in if you're in a theater show you're not famous because you're doing the cleaning up a sick of a child you know you're famous because you're the person out front usually Mm. um and i think there's just a very different sort of mentality in attractions to say well actually the important people are somehow back of house and no everyone's important yeah you know, they all make the show run and that you know at the end of the day it is a it is a show that yeah always will be and i can see that so front of house back of house is terms that i always use and i sometimes mention them in conversations with people who aren't from theaters and they don't understand some of those terms especially if you're shorthanding them in an email and you put an foh boh but in <laughs> the museums so people come into the venue to see the collections and the reason those collections are there are through a massive team who are working to preserve them and curate them and put them on or market them. So the back of house operation of a museum sector offer is basically the entire company. And then the front facing those which engagement staff are there as like that tip of the iceberg that the visitor is seeing on that day of their visit. But it is a massive, massive um, team effort, especially with such a big venue and the and varied amount of collections that we've got and topics that people visit us for. No, that's great. That's absolutely fantastic. So we're going to, you've talked a lot about skills, which is fantastic. Um, and hope our listeners get some really good insights from that. But I'm going to kind of move on to our next question, which is all about kind of self-development and, and progression within the, um, the industry. So if you can kind of share some top tips of how people can do that, that'd be fantastic. Um, so I was thinking about this before, and I kind of touched on it as well. Um, every job role or every experience that you can get involved with will have a benefit and not to discount anything or to go, oh, I don't want to do that job role or I don't want to go and get involved with that because it's not really what I want to do. You really don't ever know what that might lead to um, because so many things can be cross-pollinated 
So don't be scared or down playing any previous experience, especially if you're filling a job application or you're going for um, an opportunity. It's easy to miss certain things out your CV about your previous experience. Everything can matter. I remember when I was come back from dance college and I needed a part-time job and I worked at Sainsbury's cooking chicken at half past six in the morning. And again, wasn't like my chosen advanced career choice, but getting up half past five, getting to work. I built a, a, a skill of just having to work to a certain schedule. And again, that can come into play in later life or later roles where you've got early mornings or late starts. And working in that customer service role, even though, again, completely different environments in the museum sector, but you can say you've worked in customer service or a front-facing big organisation. Every single job on every show, every single experience can count and should count to future job applications. So don't discount things. Something else I was thinking of was free learning. And I think the good thing that's happened over the past seven or eight months, webinars, newsletters, online courses, tutorials, not just with companies in the UK, but in the US and Europe. It has really been this sudden boom in activities and training and tools to get engaged with. Get, in, get involved with them. Quite a lot of them are free. Some of them are a small charge or subscription. If that's not what you can do, but seek out the free ones like FutureLearn or the Alba um, newsletters or Art Council, Theatres Trust. Lots of places are really pushing out contents and resources to get involved. Um, get involved with them, like seek them out because again, that's another um, something you can put on your, your CV or an application that might just help a conversation in an interview, say. And if you are in a job role and you are um, working as part of a big organisation, get involved with the wider company. Read the company newsletters. If there's a staff social or there's an online meeting where you can ask questions to a senior member of staff or learn about another department that you work closer with, but you always want to ask them how they got involved with it, learn and meet the people in your company, the people you work side by side with, because that, again, could just help build another connection, might open up another opportunity. I think people can very easily discount the resources and the opportunities around them in a small area, and they try to look very far or quite um, extensively to the more complex opportunities. I'd say the easiest thing you can do is stay local to your own environment, your own work colleagues, and the resources already around you, because that might give you more than you can um, imagine. That's that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, so that's much really really great advice. I think that's that amazing. that whole thing of just there's been you're right. There's been a, such a huge boon this year in free content that's just you know make the most of it. And yeah. I think like say you, you are being able to attend things that maybe you haven't been at, you know, you would yeah. never be able to afford to attend because it would have taken a flight or an overnight stay yeah. or whatever. Travel. It's actually suddenly now is available to pretty much everybody. So even yeah. if it's a small charge, part, if you're not paying the, for, for the things. Yeah, part of the thing that helped me is that I'm quite nosy as well. If I'm in a job role, <laughs> and I think when I was working at theatre, when I was an usher, I was like, oh, I want to work on the bar. I was working on the bar. Okay, so how do you do that? Oh, what do you mean? How do you sell the tickets? How, how can I get it? And constantly wanting to know the next part of the job. Also, ask questions, be inquisitive, because it will always help. Oh, that's great. Um, I just kind of want to quickly touch on something that you mentioned, and I think it kind of sums up to networking. Um, so for you, 
personally how do you kind of network and get to know people in your industry um maybe face to face or even like online how, how does that work um it might not sound like it. i am very shy when i start a new job and i have i, I have all acknowledged it in myself so an interview it's a bit of a performance and i think going back to that using previous skills that i can gear myself up i can do the prep and go right this is half an hour i know the type of questions i might get asked and it's a performance to get you through the half hour and then come out shaking and like needing a coffee and um but then once you actually get a job and you start it's a whole other ball game and I realize I kind of go on a, a certain pathway I'll start out quite small quite quiet I'll do all the reading just working on the systems getting to suss out who my close colleagues are and who they are and what the relationships are but then six months later, the, the Alan, compared to the Alan who started the job on the first day, I think some people might go, who's this person? Well, that's just me. And I acknowledge it, um, which then leads on to I know I have to put myself sometimes in situations that I know I'm a bit uncomfortable in and just to get to speak to people or meet people. Um, I think the good thing about ticketing systems, data, CRM, there's a network of people especially if you use a specific ticketing system, there's usually other users of it in the UK or in the US or Europe, and they have user groups and forums and networks. I seek them out generally and find out who else is using that system, get in contact with them. And then that can be something that is a conversation. How are you using it? Or we do this, what have you learned from it? And then that can even lead to site visits and visiting other attractions and building a network of stakeholders or just like people in the same area who you can always ask questions on and then that can lead to longer term relationships in terms of if you leave that company, you might still stay connected with them and just learning a wider remit of the sector. I do a lot of, I do like a good webinar, a good training session. I like a good chat about data and ticketing and setups, gift aids, fundraising, um, I do kind of seek them out now because I, even if it's something that you don't need to be engaged with, but you can just be listening to or whilst you're working, not, I don't really listen to music. I tend to listen to discussions about systems or new applications that are coming up because I find I can take them on initially and then I can research into them. But I think you do have to just go out there and find connections and don't be scared to connect with them I think there's great tools like LinkedIn is something that I'd never really engaged with it's how I connect with Carly quite a lot since um, we got to know each other a couple of years ago and more opportunities where people are now presenting themselves more as I've got this skill set I'd like to connect with more people can we have a conversation and it's not false and it's not pretentious because people generally want to meet other people and learn skills and hopefully that could lead to something a bit longer term. Yeah, I like the idea, like you say, if, if you are sort of a little bit scared or a little bit shy and you do think, oh, you know, I'm not the sort of person who just walks up into a room and, you know, shakes hands with people and, well, no one will be shaking hands in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're not the person that always puts yourself out there, then sometimes having something in common is, is a really good place to start. So like you say, well, if you're not really super confident about meeting new people, well, find those people who use the same system and then ask them specific questions about yeah. them. So, you know, you're not, you're not just throwing yourself out there. You're, you're sort of using that network as well. It's really good. I was listening to a podcast this week and a really good point came up about if you went to a training session and everyone was, didn't know anyone, 
there'd be that awkward five, ten minutes with people having a coffee, hello, hello, moving seats around and getting seated. If you join a training session online, there's 30 people all presented to you on a screen, you will keep your mic off, you will most often keep your camera off and just engage when you feasibly have to. And it's really changed how people can connect with new opportunities or new contacts or people who just understand what they're going through. And I think that's something that will really be interested to see how that pans out when people, those in venue or in person group training sessions might not return in the way the form that they used to be. So how can you engage yourself with other people but through an online environment confidently? I think is something that um, hopefully people will be able to learn more skills and tools around it. I haven't cracked how to do it, but hopefully. Yeah, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm the awkward person that's like, hey, everyone, let's be friends. You know, <laughs> and everyone hates me. They're all like, oh, I've got my camera off for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah, it's awkward to be that person too. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I think I'm in the middle. I think I'm quite neutral. So that's all good for me. Someone had to be. Someone had to be. <laughs> <laughs> Moderator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my my last question, and I guess, you know, you, you obviously talk about you like listening to podcasts and you like listening to sort of the more technology side of things and I it's a great source of advice but have you ever had somebody give you advice that you think that that was it that was the turning point or whatever I've pondered for you on this before there's two options I'm going to go with both one is my mum who said if you don't like it just leave and this is when I was younger and I was just taking on part-time jobs and just trying to find out what it was. And I was still living at home and she was just like, if you don't like it, just leave. Don't be that drastic. But I think the, the, the point is you can change things. It's, that might be the situation now. You may be working in a role or an environment. It's, that's not the longer term like decision. You can develop things and use all those other tools we've just been talking about to help you move somewhere else or seek a new opportunity. Um, that's, I'm not advising people to just leave uh, and just get up and Great, great mum advice. I love it. Yeah. And I think- It, it I, did I, help. I think there's, there's a big difference between can you pay your bills this month and, yeah. you know, you need to stick something out and, you know, don't just write something off because you're there. And also, like you say, it, it's not life or death in a lot of cases try different things do different things and don't be afraid to fail at them yeah and so the, if you if it's wrong to turn away i think you're absolutely right so that leads on to the the actual piece of advice i wasn't given it but i read it and heard it as part of an interview and it's a quote from theodore roosevelt and it's called man in the arena and it links back to it's quite um i'll send you the link to it after the podcast and it's about don't stand on the edge looking in and complaining that you've failed. Be in the centre of the arena and fail whilst daring greatly. So throw yourself in, give it a try. If it doesn't work out, you, you can say it didn't work out and I've moved on. But don't just stand on the edge and look in because you will never know. And that sometimes can be my approach. Where I'll just volunteer to do a speech at a conference with 400 people. I hate him and that. But sometimes it'll, a call out will come I go yeah I'll do it and then I've made the commitment and I'll just take a deep breath walk on and do the presentation and I'll love it at the end and people then ask questions and what are you doing can we come and connect with you more in your industry but I would never do that without just taking that bit of a leap and just saying well if I fail I'll just fail and then move on 
but you can't just stand on the edge and look in going, well, oh, I should have, but because you'll just never know. So just give it a try. Oh, I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that is great advice. I think it, yeah. there's a lot to be said for just overcommitting <laughs> to something <laughs> and then just just going for it because I think you're right. There's what have you got to be afraid of? I think yeah. I could quote Adam Ant and say ridicule is nothing to be scared of <laughs> in that one. <laughs> It's my, um, but it's my, quite uh, a famous celebrity it's, tip. It's quite a famous um, speech, um, but I will send you the link. It's um, but I found it. Um, so the author called Brene Brown. Not to sound very like technical, she's got a book called Daring Greatly, but it's linked from that speech about be the person in the middle of the arena with the scars, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and then you can, if you're going to fail, just fail whilst daring. Fantastic. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I think. I mean that that's the that's the time to end. We could just end the podcast straight after that. <laughs> after that sentence. Just dare to fail. That's it, done. Podcast over. Cool. So while we're talking about um sort of your your past and we, we discussed sort of sixteen year old Alan, how did sixteen year old Alan get to where you are today? What what route did you take? So I followed pretty standard route from sixteen. I was at college doing BTEC performing arts, started in drama as I said, and then done two years dance. And then something big happened. I got a place at Larbin in London, which is a big dance training centre and contemporary dance. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Do the three-year degree. And I moved to London, 19, right to pack my bags. And after a year, I was like, is this right? I was loving the course and I loved that training and it was like full on. But when I came home after that first year, I didn't go back and I didn't complete the degree. Had a mini career crisis like what am I going to do that was an opportunity to do a degree and then I started working again in theatre part-time and eventually then got back into dance and I went back and done a HND in performing arts dance so all of my like qualifications and training are BTEC performing arts dance and A-level dance and a two-year HND in dance so they were great in terms of education and doing essays and performances and exams and but my actual formal qualifications don't relate in any way to the current work that I do. All of the current roles that I've done have been through job experience. So if there was a job advert and it said to one degree or equivalent, I have to be the equivalent experience route because I, I could never put on a job application that I have a degree. And I think that's something people should know and be, be comfortable with that. Not all jobs will require you to have one. So again, if someone's done a degree and it wasn't really what they wanted to do or they didn't get a grade you can find other pathways to job applications and experiences that are just as relevant for you to put in an application so don't discount anything that you've ever done because um it will always come towards it yeah i think there's a I, i'm trying to think the twitter account i think it's fair museums jobs who really push for job applications in the in the public sector to not have uh, degree qualifications specifically for that reason is that actually you know it just it doesn't necessarily qualify you for anything I have yeah. a degree it has absolutely zero uh, I have a performing arts degree ironically um, <laughs> there's a theme and, we've got a theme I know, here. <laughs> and we all end up in CRM and ticketing eventually yeah. obviously that's where we all go um, but yeah and, and and it is that thing of going you know my degree actually has really no bearing on the the work that I do it gave me a set skills but I could have learned those skills in lots of other places. So yeah, if people are interested, fair museum jobs, um, <clears throat> go and give them a look up because that's I, they're a really think, interesting organisation. 
I think generally, I think the whole recruitment processes and experiences will hopefully develop because to get people to engage in lots of different um, sectors, the questions asked in interviews as well, maybe about where do you sell, where do you see yourself in five years? Is that really a relevant question anymore? Can we can the actual recruitment process be more open about like people centered not around somebody just wanting to know where someone might be in five years and the reality is probably not in that job if, if it's honest if it's like just jobs to get them some new skills or because they need to get an employment locally um, and that's not a bad thing for somebody to be applying for a job because they want the job at that time and place and maybe that's yeah. hopefully something that will be positively changed in the next yeah. couple of months. One of my utter claim to fame, and this will tell you about, you know, I say about walking into a room and I'm very much the extrovert. Uh, I once attended a job interview when I was at university for uh, outreach, to be an outreach student, to take, you know, new students around campus, etc. And uh, was asked in the interview, why do you want this job? And I said, because it said in the, inter- in the advert that you would pay me. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just think that that sort of stuck with me is that, you know, in reality, why are we all at work you know to try and be Mm. realistic around it but you know there will be jobs that you take because you need the money there will be jobs that you take because this you know they speak to your soul but they don't pay a lot Mm. there's going to be a lot of different reasons why you're you're looking for employment at that time in your life yeah Yeah, I I think people I think the industry is going to change in the sense of the types of questions they're going to be asking um I mean I've CVs are great but it only talks about the past yeah. Um, and, you know, during the interview, you should be asking about what people want in their future. Um, and I don't think we're there yet at the moment. Um, so hopefully that will change in, in the coming years when people start to realise um, CVs are great, but they're not everything. Yeah, completely agree. And I think anybody who a few years ago when asked, what were you doing in five years? If they'd have said, I'm working from home because there's going to be a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are people have given up predicting just quite where things are going to head for yeah. the time being. I think it's yeah. just going to be one of those. Uh, it's going to be a few years of sitting it out and just being interested in what actually Ooh. comes out of it. Yeah, totally. totally agree. Oh, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, really appreciate that. Um, so yes, um, thank you so very much for everyone for listening. See you or hear from you at the next podcast. Cheers, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Alan.